All righties. So welcome back to Herbs, Acupuncture, and Everything Else. Um, my name is Herbalist Emma, and this week we have a really special guest with us, um, someone who I found, again, through the wonders of Instagram. I promise I don't spend my whole life on Instagram, but uh, she is um, just amazing. Um, her name is Clara Bitcon, and she's a naturopathic doctor, herbalist, and a fertility coach from Australia. Um, and she's just an all-around woman that holds space for those on healing journeys, which I think is really special and the, kind of the common thread for the people that we have on the podcast. Um, and Clara, you've had a lot, quite the background in different forms of education, as I understand it, um, which was really neat to hear that you've kind of you studied with Aviva Ram, who's amazing, and worked in an integrative pharmacy, which is kind of of special interest to me because I currently work in an integrative pharmacy, and I heard that, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. So today we'll be chatting about Clara's work and her passion behind the magic that she creates, and kind of how empowering yourself with, with herbal medicine and acupuncture and nutrition, just like all the tools in her toolbox can kind of help heal different patterns of dis-ease and how that relates to, you know, fertility and women's health, which I understand is a big um, focus for you. Mm, it is. Yeah, well, thank you. That's a beautiful introduction. <laughs> good. Good, good. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, well, my first, my first love was herbs, and that's what really, uh, curiosity about them got me into this whole realm, but yeah, started off doing, uh, at university a Bachelor of Naturopathy, and it's slightly different in Australia, whereas I understand in Canada and the US, you guys do it as a postgraduate, is that mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, whereas we, we do it as an undergraduate, but it's, so we've got like a, clinical science sort of bachelor and then you do an extra year to add the naturopathy the naturopathic medicine to it right. so that, yeah so I did that at um, a really wonderful university here in near Byron Bay which most people outside of Australia have heard of Byron Bay it was like a very beautiful place to spend five years mm -hmm. and yeah and in that time I got I, I mean, a lot of my friends were studying midwifery as well. So, I, you know, they that, you know, herbalism and women's rights and birth seem to just be part of the same ballpark. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, I got really into that world. And then, yeah, a friend who was a midwife told me about Aviva Rom's work. And I started doing her course in herbal medicine for women women's herbal medicine I think the name of it is it's one or the other and that was just this beautiful thread to bring through my um, university education and then when I ended I did postgraduate training in natural fertility education with an amazing woman called Dr. Kerry Hampton in Melbourne who I am um, she, she needs to be more well-known than she is. She's a very quiet, very understated and highly just the work she does is really incredible and I was fortunate enough to to train under her. So, yeah, it's it's been a, a lovely combination of um, threads that have come together that, yeah, and I just feel so required for the kind of state that women's health is generally in mm. in the broader in the broader sense 
Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. So I guess you, you came to the medicine kind of via herbal medicine, um, and then kind of fell into the naturopathy as well. Um, is there, and then I guess it kind of connected with that women's health and women's empowerment. Did you have a, a personal moment where you knew this is the path for me or a personal experience with the medicine that you really connected with? Yeah, well, actually, it was from quite a young age. I was um, nine years old, actually, and I had glandular fever, which is um, also called Epstein-Barr virus or mononucleosis. Mm -hmm. It can make you feel horrible. And I'd had about two months off school, and uh, at the time, my you know parents were just taking me to our local GP, and you know all that could really be done was bed rest and mm -hmm. you know some pain relief and jelly beans when I left their yeah. office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then my mom was, you know, obviously concerned that it didn't seem to be shifting. So she asked around and got a recommendation for a local herbalist naturopath. And she took me to see her and something just clicked in me in her office of just, it's, it's still hard to understand what it was. It was like something that felt deeply familiar and then something that just woke up and was like, this is what I want to do when I grow up. And, yeah, she prescribed, you know, she told me to not eat lollies and <laughs> to have chicken broth and yeah. gave me this horrendous tasting herbal mix, which I now know would have had a decent amount of echinacea in it. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> based on how it made my tongue feel. Yeah. And I was at school a week later, so... I was just, yeah, I was fascinated by that. I was, yeah, to experience a different style of medicine shift things so quickly. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so that that really, um, and, you know, and then, you know, all my, I racked up probably a lot of library finds from my local library borrowing <laughs> all the different books and, you know, those, like, really basic herb, you know, use rosemary for memory and then roll it into a handkerchief. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I oh just got, gosh. I was obsessed with dolphins before then, and then I became obsessed with plants. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's funny you say that because I'm a herbalist and I'm obsessed with whales at the moment, like still, like I love whales and there's something about whales that just gets me. Um, oh, maybe it's so like a, a herbalist thing. But yeah, there's quite a rabbit hole that you go down. I feel like when you start following that like plant path, you just, yeah, your whole life becomes obsessed with it for, I guess, in your case, over five years, maybe 10 years now, right? Yeah, well, I mean, since that beginning, so I'm 30 now. So yeah, 20. Yeah, but, more, you know, more distinctly, like in the last decade of seriously training to be able to use it to help others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the fertility awareness um, and, and kind of women's um, medicine around yeah, fertility and menstruation and having babies and all of that. Um, why do you feel like that's an important piece to bring in? Well, I mean, I always had an interest in it. Uh, and then in my first year of private practice, I started seeing this really clear pattern. You know, it just happened over and over again of seeing women who had been put on the oral contraceptive pill as a teenager, usually as a medication for acne or painful or irregular periods. Mm -hmm. And typically, you know, the uh, advice or counselling they'd got around that would have been, you know, it's 
we're going to put you on this to regulate your period and regulate your hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, like as young as, you know, 14 in some cases. And then so then they were coming to see me in their 20s or 30s. And, you know, they had remained on it for contraceptive purposes. But, you know, they might have done some reading around it or they're wanting to, you know, start a family and going off it and all their symptoms reappearing and their cycles not coming back, you know, as they would have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that really opened the door to really taking a macro look at how we actually look at, you know, educate women about their cycles and, you know, if... If teenagers, as young women, when we start menstruating, we're not told, mm-hmm. you know, you know, your cycle doesn't have to be 28 days and, you know, you, you don't ovulate on day 14 necessarily. There's, you know, huge variance. And here, here is how you can tell when you are and you can only get pregnant for a very short window of your cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is just completely not in the conversation so then it leaves if we don't have that knowledge that leaves us quite vulnerable to then going down what I call like a domino effect of then our reproductive health through our life can be a point of lots of intervention you know mm-hmm. so I, I mean I don't know what it's like in Canada but in Australia the definition of in, in, infertility is if you've had unprotected intercourse for 12 months and you haven't conceived. Yep. Yeah, it's the same here, yeah. Regardless of where you, when and where you're at, like at mm-hmm. what point you're having sex in your, you know, in your cycle. And then the algorithm of medicine is get referred to IVF and then IVF will then make their assessment of you and as we know the toolkit that IVF has is a lot of intervention mm-hmm. and not a lot of them are saying you know go and learn fertility awareness method because it's you know ultimately they are businesses themselves mm-hmm. so yeah I mean I'm, I don't know I've heard I guess I hear the horror stories in my practice so I'm sure, sure. yeah but so that's and then of course you know, you come to menopause and then the options that are laid out to you are, you know, a hysterectomy or hormone replacement therapy. So I just think that makes me so sad. And then real, you know, getting into the the psycho-spiritual, if you will, or the deeper gifts that learning to work with our menstrual cycles can give us, that we could go through our, our lives not ever recognizing that or leveraging that or embracing that and so I think then that opens up like a really big fascinating conversation about women in you know women in general so that's like the little piece of the pie that I hang out in and help women with oh for sure no I love that I think that's yeah super important and I think I mean you even not to sound like a stalker because I'm like referring to what you posted on Instagram today (laughs) but um (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I saw you post on Instagram today, even just like about common myths about, you know, um, you know, the female reproductive cycle and, you know, what your cervical mucus should look like and should in quotations, right? And just all the misinformation. Yeah, like you can only get pregnant at a certain, you know, certain day and you always ovulate on day 14 and just like a lot of misinformation that even, you know, people that have gone to school for health and wellness still believe that to be true. Um, so it's an interesting, yeah, it's hard to kind of muddle through and find the truth in that. And 
I mean, that's why I think people like who I, you know, learnt with Kerry Hampton and, you know, there's some other people who, you know, dedicate their careers and their body of work to cutting through the noise and, you know, distilling the nuggets of, of truth. And, yeah, I mean, look, I was surprised, you know, after five five years of university training, you know, when I went and studied with her and she talked me through the deeper physiology of the ovulation cycle and the menstrual cycle, I was like, oh, my goodness, I have really overestimated my knowledge of mm -hmm. the menstrual cycle and I've trained in this area. So that was really, really fascinating. That was a really nice experience and very humbling mm -hmm. to, to have. So, yeah, I mean, look, in that... I mean, with my post on Instagram today, there's like so much good intention out there. Uh, and, you know, a lot of women, because this is this environment we're in where, you know, a lot a lot of us, are, I mean, women in general are sort of in the dark about their fertility. And when you get into it, it's like somebody switches on a light and it's this, you know, you're sort of wanting to make up for lost time and share it with everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and I think if you haven't gone through the process of training to be a healthcare practitioner. I mean, would you agree with this? Like your training really shows you how, you know, it shows us what we don't know mm -hmm. and we can become quite humbled in that. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, <laughs> you know, everyone's, yeah, every single body is so different. Every single circumstance is so different. And I, you know, I'm really all for this really cool groundswell in women's empowerment and women's knowledge, but I think some of that is getting muddied and mm -hmm. it is leading to confusion and in some cases distress. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so I feel like every new situation, every new learning environment I'm in, even just moving to this integrated pharmacy, I'm blown away. Like I left my old job feeling like you know, I had a good head on my shoulders and I'm herbalist and acupuncture student. I'm going to be fine. And then I get to this functional medicine integrated pharmacy and I'm like, oh, I know nothing. Okay, here we go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's the best. I love that feeling when mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I'm out of my depths. There's so much, you know, there's so much to learn now. Mm -hmm. And the body is also just kind of that way. Like every time I feel like I've got my body, like I understand how bodies work, they do something totally different than I would expect them to do. And you're back at square one with the learning. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's why we call it a practice, right? Mm -hmm. That's so important and, for sure. Yeah. And I don't know, I come to, I'm coming to realize these you know we've got these principles in healing but they are guideposts and every single client that comes to sit with you it's you know they're a completely new entity in which you are going to apply these principles in a completely different constellation than mm -hmm. anybody else yeah which is so important to not blueprint it which I guess is why a lot of those Instagram or internet uh you know, um, posts that are telling you, you know, how, just how it is, like giving you health advice that's a blanket statement is dangerous. Mm -hmm. People aren't, uh, you know, a one type, a one size fits all. Majorly. And I think, you know, we're also in the era of, yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, a lot, there just seems to be like a lot of celebrities these days with social media, which is really, really cool. But I think there is formulas out there of, you know, be a thought leader and say things with a lot of conviction. And I think that misses out on a lot of nuance. And in some industries that might not have such 
in impact as it does in health. And I spend a lot of my time as a naturopath helping to work out what people, what knowledge people have absorbed and applied and, you know, working our way through that of working out well, what's true and helpful and what's not. Mm-hmm. 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 And on that note too, I mean, can you speak to how, like, how do you find herbal medicine a useful tool in how it relates to empowering patients and self-empowerment? Well, I mean, I I see there like being two kind of arms of herbal medicine that at least I sort of aspire to practice. The one, you know, one is the herbs that I'm prescribing them and, you know, what I'm understanding of their body and, you know, really matching up a really, you know, well thought out herbal formula that can help shift, you know, deep deeper health and give organs support that they need and mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I very much love the vitalist model of herbal medicine of you know if you're a really hot dry tense constitution we need to cool you down and smooth you out and relax you out and so a really you know a couple of good herbal formulas can be a really amazing catalyst in people's you know returning to health and that's you know an art and a science and but the other arm I really love is teaching people how to start using herbs in their daily life and at home because I feel like that is a huge untapped potential of herbal medicine Mm -hmm. and yeah and I mean the um you know the, the program deep reset that I'm running at the moment it's very much that like how can we tool like give you a toolkit in your kitchen that you can just start instinctively knowing when my you know stomach is doing this like I can make this really nice tea with these spices Mm -hmm. or I can make this nice dish where I've made a broth with these herbs and you know I really think I always say that I think 90% of the beauty and benefit of herbal medicine is used in that way Mm -hmm. for sure it's a nice way to integrate yeah like I mean everyday living and health and wellness it doesn't have to be expensive it doesn't have to be you don't have to be a chemist to feel good and keep yourself healthy and well which I think exactly special something super special yes and that no and that there's no one size fits all and by knowing your sort of constitutionally aligned herbs and spices you can create incredible medicine at yeah at a very very low cost Mm -hmm. I love that you bring in the constitution piece too because I feel like there are I've met a lot of herbalists that don't bring that in and I've met more recently a lot that that do and I think it's an interesting distinction because I think um yeah some of the herbalists I was studying with didn't really bring in the constitution piece um and then I kind of realized wow it, it does make a difference you know for someone like I mean you and I I'm definitely more pitta fire type and I like mm. ginger is too much like <laughs> you know like you may recommend like someone might recommend a ginger for a certain you know issue I'm having but it's too hot yeah human (laughs) exactly and I've just I mean I was I was lucky enough actually uh so the way I trained um well I was really lucky actually so I had like one herbal teacher who was very deep into the pharmacognosy and constituents and all of that um but he did it in a very scholar like a scholastic way and then another teacher um 
Sue Evans, who's she's quite well known here yeah. in Australia, and she is incredible. And she brought in, you know, Culpepper and, mm-hmm. you know, just being mindful of astrology and like, you know, saying that more as empirical evidence and to understand plants as having these stories throughout mm-hmm. our human history and to tr- truly understand their full, you know, majesty and their, their full, um, you know, to see them actually as people with the same mm. amount of complexity as us. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you can't pigeonhole a plant. Exactly. And so, can. yeah, but we, well, you know, plants just don't fit neatly into boxes. And and it, there's a lot, of, a lot of the world or the way we like to think is to be able to neatly fit mm. things into boxes. Mm. But I was lucky enough to finish my training with, um, uh, Matthew Wood when he came out to Australia so that really deeply imprinted that eclectic uh, with a bit of that physiomedicalist theory and then I just got obsessed with thinking about herbs that way. Oh that's amazing yeah and how do you feel that herbs like why why are herbs so wonderful and have such a, an affinity towards the reproductive system I mean in both men and women but specifically in this context talking about women and fertility and managing the fluctuations that we experience within life why are they so good at that oh, such a good question Emma <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean you know a big part of our reproductive cycles I mean they are the way that they ebb and flow is what gives us our cyclic natures as women and plants are exactly the same they come through cycles like lunar cycles and solar cycles and through seed and germination and sprout and flower and fruit and decay and they have got so so much complexity to them and the herbs that have an affinity for the reproductive system they can just you know there's no medical drug that can can regulate hormones or balance hormones but plants actually can as long as we're doing the work as well they'll <laughs> mm-hmm. I always say that plants will not step in for you if you're not stepping in for yourself first mm, I love that I love that a lot yeah yeah and you know with uh ovulation I mean I very much see ovulation and menstruation as these like signs of health they're markers of health when mm-hmm. all is well and good those will run smoothly and well and plants if you know if there are other imbalances in the body that are feeding you know having a flow and effect to cause imbalances in the reproductive system you can use plants to create such a such a beautiful support for that whole constellation of what's going on for that person mm-hmm. which I just love you just cannot do that with uh with medical drugs in mm-hmm. that same way you can't tonify you can't you know plants can help you access the healing potential within yourself and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they can they can they can they catalyze healing. They can help you find peace within your body and yourself. Um, and yeah, it's. I mean, they're hard to describe, aren't they? They are. And I. I mean, I gave you a hard question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but I think that was beautiful, and I love that. You know, as um, you know, people that you know, anybody, people that experience menstruation, they have that cyclical nature to them, and then plants also have a cyclical nature to them. And I, I love that kind of duality there. Um, 
And I think it's interesting because I've met some, I keep going back to herbalists, but I've met some practitioners that uh, have the opinion, you know, you don't, you should only use herbs when there's an issue and that you don't need to use herbs if you're healthy, quote unquote healthy. But I think that uh, I feel like the way that you approach it and, and the way that myself and other practitioners approach it is that they can be allies to continuing your health and like a part of your life and a part of your cooking and a part of just being in connection with the world, which is special. Totally. I mean, look, if you practice herbal medicine, treating them like they're drugs, like, you know, that whole phytotherapy, mm-hmm. the phytotherapy, I mean, phyto for listeners, like is the Latin name for plant. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of like, I think the name was maybe coined in the 80s or 90s when mm-hmm. the herbal medicine profession, you know, arms of it were really trying to sort of professionalize. Mm-hmm. So used in that way, you know, really concentrated extracts in high doses, yeah, you do not want to be taking those long-term because they will deplete the body. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, herbal medicine, like sprinkling, like, cardamom on your porridge that, you know, can fall into the spectrum of herbal medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nettle tea. Like, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Nothing beats that. E- exactly. So I, I think you know, it depends on your definition of what herbal medicine is, really. Mm -hmm, Totally. Yeah. And I guess something else I wanted to ask was, what are some kind of typical fertility challenges or patterns that you see in practice most commonly? Hmm. Well, I mean, gosh, so many. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. But I would say possibly the most common one would be what we call like a stress pattern cycle. Mm-hmm. So, and so a stress pattern cycle will sort of manifest in, you know, in a regular cycle. So that's kind of like, you know, oh, my cycle can be 28 days, but sometimes it's 35 days. This month it was 26, you know, that sort of never really quite knowing when you're going to get your period because it's not like clockwork. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're charting, you know, I mean, there are some conditions such as, um, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome that can cause that, you know, Mm -hmm. like actually, you know, there's insulin, you know, um, resistance and there's androgen, which are your male hormones, like actually playing a part there. Mm -hmm. Um, But for some people, they think that they might have polycystic ovarian syndrome, but actually they've just got a stress pattern cycle and what happens there is that the body might attempt to ovulate a couple of times before it actually does and when you're charting your cycle you can see that really 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 clearly it's really quite interesting it's like oh ovaries you tried three times this month I'm sorry oh wow (laughs) that's amazing and what does that look like when you're charting what what can people look for yeah so well I mean, little like fertility charting 101 to set the context. Mm -hmm. So when we are not fertile, we typically add like the, it's like a vaginal sensation of dryness. Like Mm -hmm. it's just like if you're walking around and you sort of ask yourself, like, what's the sensation going on there? It's like, ah, like not a lot actually. Mm. And then as estrogen begins to come online and estrogen is our hormone that is what um, it works with another hormone called follicle stimulating hormone to mature a follicle into an egg. And the closer we come to that point of maturity, 
the estrogen is rising and the effect that the estrogen will also have is increasing cervical fluid. And so that will be experienced, you know, in a sort of the most common pattern is sort of starting as moist, getting wetter, wetter to really, really slippery and then going dry straight. Like you can have like really slippery and then the next day dry. And that is when the egg is released and then the the little sac that the egg is in forms into something that we call the corpus luteum, which is the luteal phase gets its name from. Mm. And that, I mean, that's incredible. That becomes this full hormone secreting gland for, you know, almost, you know, around two weeks. That's it's different crazy. for every woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It like, you know, it secures its own blood supply. It, it's, yeah, it's the, the, the fastest forming hormone gland in the body. Wow. And so when the progesterone, so the progesterone will come only if we've ovulated and the progesterone will then dry up that cervical fluid and we'll experience dryness again. So, I mean, it's honestly that simple. (laughs) It's just you got to practice to know your pattern. And then if you're charting your um, basal body temperature, which is your waking temperature, the first temperature you have when you rise in the morning after, you know, we aim for four hours of consecutive sleep for it to be the most accurate reading. And because progesterone, that hormone that's only released after ovulation, is um, has thermogenic qualities, so meaning that it can raise our metabolic rate, which can be registered as a higher temperature. Mm-hmm. So that is why taking your temperature can confirm that you've ovulated. It can't predict ovulation at all, Mm. um, but it can confirm that you have. And so what happens in a stress cycle is you might have that experience of moist to wet to slippery to dry, but you don't get the temperature rise. Mm. So that just means that the ovary tried to ovulate but didn't quite get there. And it might have been, you know, it might be, you know, we're a bit too stressed for this or, you know, you had a, a like a bout of gastro or, or something that made the body think now is not a good time to reproduce. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I mean, I hope I put that simply so your listeners would under- be able to understand that. Um, no, but- yeah, I think that makes sense. I think, yeah, I mean, and like we, we always say when like reproduction is such a sensitive, uh, process in the body and when you're stressed or there's something else going on, it's one of the first systems to go offline or off balance. Um, totally. so I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I guess for a lot of the people that live in cities and live in this kind of, you know, high stress lifestyle that, I mean, I, I would bet that if, you know, most of the people listening to the podcast went and, and charted their cycle for a couple months, they'd probably find that there's some like stress impact there for sure. Oh, exactly. And it can be such an amazing signal to yourself if you're charting being like, oh, wow, okay, like this stress is actually <laughs> yeah. manifest, like my body is telling me I am, I am stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because f- I mean, fertility is a multi-organ, multi-system complex that mm-hmm. usually works really well without any interventions required. Um, but it is a stress sensitive system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, this is a question that kind of came up for me when you were chatting about, you know, um, the definition of infertility and people being referred to IVF. If you could kind of give like a piece of advice or what would you say to women that have been told they're infertile? I would say don't believe it <laughs> straight away. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, I would, I would say to them, look, let's 
do not attach to the word infertile at all because that can be a very toxic term to think of um, and a very stressful term to think of. I would say before you make any call on the status of your fertility, start charting your cycle so we can actually see what's going on. Um, I would also tell her some pretty staggering statistics, um, which comes from, so if you look up Hampton and Mazza 2009 paper on women's perception of fertility in GP clinics and IVF, I'll send you the link, Emma, because it's a really phenomenal piece of research, um, that it was done in Melbourne. So Melbourne and Toronto, actually, I I know that people always say they're really similar cities, (laughs) which is where I'm from, actually. Uh, So, you know, in a city cosmopolitan environment. And so women presenting to a GP clinic with, you know, six to 12 months of unprotected intercourse, no no conception yet. And they found on questioning of the couple's understanding of their fertile window that only 2% could accurately identify when they're fertile. Oh, my gosh. Meaning that 98% didn't know how to accurately time it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then in the IVF clinic, the numbers were different. Um, so 13% could accurately identify their window, mm. meaning that 87% of women were undergoing high level intervention when they couldn't, hadn't even been given the education to know it's when they could actually conceive. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And how likely is it in those GP uh, clinic settings or even IVF that they're like, here's a, here's a chart for your <laughs> menstrual cycle. Let's walk through it together. Totally. Cause they, I mean, number one, there's not the time necessarily to do that. And they're not educated on that either. That's not part of medical syllabuses like as a rule. And some GPs might, um, you know, say, look, why don't you, you know, refer on to a fertility awareness educator? But a lot of them maybe are not even aware of that, or they've got this old idea that fertility awareness is the rhythm method, or mm-hmm. which is, you know, highly inaccurate. And so they throw the baby out with the bathwater there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I learned those statistics, um, it's actually how I got into natural fertility. I was going to, you know, um, this was Carrie Hampton's research findings from her PhD. And it was at that point, I like I literally didn't sleep for three nights after that learning those statistics. Oh my god! Because <laughs> it made it like that made sense. Like that yeah. explained all these other things I was encountering in practice and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and women in my life. So I would, I I think there's a lot of comfort to take from those statistics uh, as an as a woman. You know, as a as a practitioner, it's staggering and like almost outrageous, and it mm-hmm. makes you sort of pull up your sleeves and say, "Oh, there is work to be done." Yeah, but. For somebody who's getting frustrated and, you know, scared, like ultimately, you know, it's really can be a really scary, frightening concept if you are trying to, you know, for a baby, just to know that, you know, there is so much you can, so much knowledge of your body that you can get that's going to give you a lot of tools and power you need to be able to time that intercourse correctly. And only then, if you know that you are having intercourse in that window would I then suggest, okay, now it's time to get like a second opinion and let's, you know, make sure there's nothing structural or anything that's being an obstacle in the way here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I imagine that you've seen in your practice, um, people come to you and say, 
I've been labeled this way. And then they do, you know, some simple, you know, herbal nutrition supplements, charting techniques. And then have you seen that resolve and, and end up being a very functional pregnancy or baby? Yes. I mean, that is like the most rewarding part of this work. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and for some women, especially if there are some other health things going on, they may only, their fertile window may only be barely a day. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, if they, and, and for some women as well, they, a lot of the education out there is, you know, about like fertile mucus is this like egg white, stretchy, it will stretch 10 centimeters. Yeah. Like that's how you know you're fertile. And that's just not the lived experience for a lot of women. Some women, it, you know, it's just a feeling of wetness that they get that they might have missed if they weren't tuning into their body in that way. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, um, we were talking before about DIY weddings, and this is like the ultimate yeah. DIY <laughs> healthcare yeah. because you can just really take it into your own hands, and you know, and then everything simplifies, and then you can make a more accurate call whether there actually is, you know, an infertility issue going on. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah, saves you money, saves you stress, and you know, gives you that connection with your body and connection to. Because I think in the end, like, you know, um, midwifery and being a doula or a herbalist or a fertility coach, I mean, all of that is such beautiful community-based medicine and, and um, like, people-based medicine, connecting with yourself and connecting with other people instead of, you know, pharmaceutical. It, does, it just doesn't seem to fit to my mind. Like, it shouldn't, it should be a first line of community medicine. Totally. And I think that's maybe where... Uh, the medical establishment as a whole has become a bit arrogant to its own detriment, thinking that it is the only healthcare option that is valid and appropriate for all health situations um, because it is perfectly placed and exquisitely developed for a certain subset of health issues. And without it, a lot of us wouldn't be here. Yes. Um, but with certain things like, you know, this topic that we're talking about, it's not well placed to deal with and it's mm-hmm. doing people and its patients a disservice to think that if it doesn't have an, an answer, therefore there is no answer. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. For sure. So, but like, you know, the community medicine sector and what we're doing, like, you know, it's a very robust group of people out there. Mm-hmm creating this web of knowledge and help mm-hmm. yeah what would you say this is the juicy part now your mm. like, herbs to use when it comes to fertility challenges oh I mean that is so so <laughs> different for everyone right yes yes yeah I mean like you know I mean, just to paint a picture of how personalized it is, you know, you might have like three different three different women all presenting with a very similar thing, you know. Mm-hmm. They might have been told that they're infertile. They've been, you know, linking with what we were talking about before. And one woman has had IBS for her entire adult life mm-hmm. um, and isn't sleeping properly. So for her, in order to address her fertility, the you know, the root causes of that, her, her, you know, reproductive system is not, you know, functioning optimally is because 
she's got these chronic gut imbalances going on, which might be affecting her ability to absorb her nutrients. Mm -hmm. And she's got a type of insomnia where she is like mentally replaying the day and getting a little bit anxious, you know, as to what she needs to do the next day. So for that woman, you know, there'd be a lot of dietary intervention and making Mm -hmm. sure we're getting all her nutrients replete and giving her some beautiful herbs to support her gut function and to get her sleeping at night. And that could be the best fertility treatment for her. Mm-hmm. And for another woman, it might be that she has, you know, Hashimoto's thyroiditis and like joint pain. And so for her, it would be about making sure that her immune, like we take out anything that could be perpetuating that condition mm-hmm. and really supporting her her thyroid function which will then support the progesterone formation because thyroid and progesterone are very closely linked and that would be her fertility treatment um so it it gets so different and i mean you do have herbs that have a really specific affinity with the reproductive system um and those can be wonderfully helpful so I mean, to speak specifically, I mean, I'm having a love affair with Don Kwai at the moment in practice. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> yeah. Angelica Sinensis. Mm-hmm. The blood yeah. builder. The blood builder, the just so good for irregularities, so good for for building up a beautiful womb lining in preparation for, you know, a um, blastocyte, a, an egg, a mm-hmm. fertilized egg to to um embed into and that's really nice for women who are like feeling a bit low in energy or depleted and Mm -hmm. cold Mm -hmm. more of that like deficiency anemia type type picture yeah Yeah. in tcm they would call it yin deficiency or sorry Mm -hmm. chinese medicine would call that yin deficiency Mm -hmm. uh so that's really lovely for building and warming and nourishing you know um those women and then maybe in women who like like naturally run really hot Mm -hmm. and uh you know they really really go 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 like something like raspberry leaf is really beautiful for them because it's so rich in nutrients uh Mm. but it has a cool it has a cooling nature and it really tonifies the womb Mm -hmm. um in a similar way to don kwai but it does it in a in a energetically different way Mm -hmm. Mm. So I'd say, yeah, those two are on pretty high rotation. Oh, and I I have to mention also score, um, Michella or Partridge Berry. It used to be called score vine, but I know that's um, not not a good term anymore. Not a good term anymore. (laughs) No, I know. I can't. Sometimes when you go down the lines of of what herbs used to be called or how how we used to, you know, name things, it gets a little horrifying but <laughs> yeah, yeah totally and we but when you've learned it as a certain name it's hard it kind of gets it, stuck it on is. the hard drive yeah. that way but Especially um but with partridge berry. See it. yes partridge berry sorry what were you gonna say no no I still I still see it on packaging even and it, it gets my goat every time well actually in Australia it's still called scorvine but I think it's just because we don't have um I don't know I, I, yeah they need to update that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's an incredible herb as well for, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for but more than um, the deep, the pain and the heavy periods or that sort of more endometriosis picture. Mm-hmm. I find not too many herbs can touch the sides of it, but partridge berry can. Mm-hmm. 
because it was used, yeah, traditionally for childbirth and for easing labor pains, but also it's just wonderful tonic mm. that can really balance out, um, yeah, like help to make sure you're not lo- like losing too much blood each month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it just tastes gorgeous. It's like this, like, rich caramelly, like, unctuous root. So I always, like, yeah, when when that herb is called for, I always have, like, a lot of confidence in those mixes that have squawvine being well represented. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, I said it again. Partridge oh. Perry. <laughs> I know. It's it's the decolonization takes time. It does take time. We've got to be, yeah, gentle with ourselves and everyone. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yes. But partridge, yeah, partridge berry is, is beautiful. And I I love that. There are so many herbs. There's so many herbs for fertility. And I think, like you said, being able to discern and match constitutionally is, is super important. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is the difference between a herb being effective or not. And that's the difference between prescribing holistically or not. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How do you feel? This is like a side question. How do you feel about ginger as like a pelvic decongestant for more of that like kapha type? Yeah. I mean, I think it's incredibly powerful. Mm. Um, Not a direct reproductive herb, but just something I've seen pop up in literature and and, uh, the more I dive into different constitutions, more of the more congestant or stagnant fertility challenge type. I feel like I wondered if that would be. No, I find ginger marvelously effective. Mm. And there was, I mean, there's some really, there was a really interesting clinical study done on using 500 milligrams of ginger twice a day against 200 milligrams of ibuprofen three times a day in terms of pain, period pain management. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ginger group, like there was no difference it was shown to be just as effective as the ibuprofen. The only difference was that the ibuprofen pain relief was, you know, pretty much immediate, whereas it took mm-hmm. about four or five days for the ginger to be effective, but then it was maintained. Mm, exactly. And that's, I think people often get confused with herbs where they will have a tincture uh, once or twice and they'll be like, it didn't work. I took an Advil. And that's, I mean, that's fine to take Advil when you need it, but um, you're right. Like usually with herbs, it's, it's more of a long game and the quick relief um, and immediate gratification is something we've learned from pharmaceuticals, I think. Yeah. It's that thinking, the silver bullet thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas herbs are going in and deeply shifting a pattern in our cells and tissues and organs. And that takes time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of my last questions was going to be kind of how do you feel about, you know, supplements versus, you know, herbal medicine in more of the raw form, the way that herbalists tend to use it of, of tinctures, teas, or like encapsulations, but encapsulations is kind of starting to go towards the supplement route. Um, yeah. Like, do you, you, do you use both in practice? How do you feel about them? I mean, I'm very much guided. I mean, I prefer to formulate mm-hmm. my own, um, mm-hmm. And I really love making teas and I really love making, I mean, I really love just to encourage my clients to make whatever they're willing to make really. Mm-hmm. But I'm also in a very, very busy city with clients that are very, very, very busy. And there's, you know, I mean, my job is to ask them, how do you want to feel? What does health look like to you? And how are we going to get you there? And it's about using the tools that 
are achievable that are going to make it achievable for them and in some cases you know they're like I just want a pill like taking liquids or making teas just like otherwise I won't be able to do it and maybe in my earlier years I would have been you know I have more of opinion on that but now I understand like okay well that's where they're at at this point in their life I will you know and sometimes often when they start to see the effects of those and being like oh okay this whole thing is really really like useful and wait you can make me something that's purely personalized to me okay let's give that a go so sometimes yeah. you need it, they can be a nice like gateway yes and it's a beautiful thing to do for someone is to make them something that's personally unique to their body their constitution who they are exactly and I'll always add flower essences to my mixes too so it's oh, really bringing yeah so it's really bringing in that like emotional you know element in there as well mm-hmm. oh my gosh and you do your own encapsulations as well correct yeah, I do. So I cool. do. I, yeah, I I mean, when I first practiced, I made all my own tinctures from scratch, too. Mm-hmm. I made, like, 84 tinctures, like, uh, <laughs> which was, like, a huge, ambitious undertaking. I um, but, yeah, now I, now I make about 15, and I'm really lucky now in Australia I can access, you know, organic, fresh tinctures that are made mm-hmm. down in Tassie, which is, like, the most incredible growing conditions for the herbs but um yeah no I love making capsules because again you can make it so personalized yeah that's really neat like I've never really dabbled with uh encapsulating myself like I mostly do like you said tinctures teas salves topicals but the idea of making a a custom encapsulation albeit probably quite labor-intensive but sounds really fun it's actually not too bad like if you get um if you get yourself a nice capsule maker, like from where to go, it takes about 12 minutes. I've timed it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is that, does that include, like, powdering the herbs or do you get them pre-powdered? Uh, I'll get them – I'll get roots pre-powdered. Yeah. And, and, yeah, no, the powdering of the aerials can be a bit more labor-intensive. But you just powder it and then just pop it through a sieve and, yeah, and add it that way. But, I mean, I really love it because I'm running my own practice that, you know, it can – you know, you can get into a world of admin and all the things involved and just, you know, running a running a business. So doing that and like listening to music or a podcast is a really beautiful, mm. soothing thing to do. Yeah, that's really awesome. That's so cool. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Absolutely. I guess that gives you the ability to dose like quite high if you needed to, or for people that are on the go or patients that don't want to make tea or aren't partial to tinctures they can kind of do that like you said with the ginger like 400 milligrams for as you know four times a day or as long as they need to exactly and it's super cost effective for them Mm -hmm. and I mean I another instance I love using it is um, pregnancy and postpartum because then you're just not having to worry about alcohol at all Mm -hmm. and I mean, oh, powdered motherwort with with uh, with ashwagandha with anea is like oh such a beautiful supreme new mother's mm. combination. Oh my gosh, yes! I was gonna say and, new mothers need that for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and you know you can do it as like you know take two in the morning, two at night. But if you've you know had a really rough night or it's just one of those harder days, know that you can go up to like two, four times a day, and mm-hmm. and just knowing like you know just having that like deep clinical you know confidence that like that is just like such a supreme thing to have 
in her toolkit. Mm-hmm. Oh my mm. gosh, I love that so much. Because wow. you're not going to get a new mama making motherwort tea. That's no, that's not no. possible. <laughs> yes, totally, hundred percent. I love that. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh my goodness. And so I guess the final, the final question. I'm like, I have so many, and I could go on forever. Um, you're this wonderful like wealth of knowledge, and I'm so grateful to have you here and and sharing you know, all the beautiful things that you've learned in your craft thus far. Um, but yeah, like main last parting tips for getting in tune with your cycle, getting connected to your body. Yeah. Mm. Well, I would say, I mean, the first, the first thing is just curiosity, really, like having a, th- that mind set to just trust and want to open it up and see what you know see what's there I think you know I think a lot of us can be I see it a lot you know people are just like scared of their body if they especially if they've had health issues and there can be a feeling of being portrayed by their body or their mm-hmm. body being a source of a lot of pain and suffering for them mm-hmm. so I always encourage like a gentle attitude of curiosity and and then I mean look the menstrual cycle is such an amazing teacher and map and the beautiful thing about cyclical work is you can just go in with one cycle with just you know the intention to learn one thing or notice one thing about yourself and it's changing phases throughout that cycle and then in the next cycle you might want to add something else and so it it then becomes this very sustainable practice and you can you can go as deep as your curiosity takes you and it has this like really perfect map to guide you there Mm so as a practical way of beginning to access that, I would um, I just advise women to just start noting it down. Like so day one is considered like the first day of proper flow of menstruation. Mm-hmm. And, and then just recognize like, okay, so during menstruation, that's usually when your energy is mostly turned inward. And at ovulation, that's when your energy is really like it's more of an extroverted energy. You're happy to be out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Um so there are these like two polarities that we're always swinging between this yin yang new moon full moon style thing. Not necessarily on the lunar cycle, but for some women they do. Um, and so just noticing how your energy or your focus or your productivity or how you feel like intimately or anything that you want to note, just like start noticing if there's a pattern arising there. And you know, then the next step would be then, okay, well, you noticed at this part of your cycle, you really want to take time for yourself and you really would rather not be in social environments. You'd rather be at home drinking tea, reading books and writing in your journal. And at this time, you're like totally happy to be out there socializing. And so maybe start to structure your life around that. Like maybe don't plan to do things that are not congruent with how you're feeling. And, and just start gently pivoting and shifting with that as a really nice guiding principle and just see what comes up for you. And it's, it's really incredible how quickly women take to it because it's sort of on this deep level we already know it. I often say what I teach is just about helping people to remember. Mm-hmm. And then it can then be this really faithful guide that you can use. And then, you know, you can learn about your fertile signs and track those and then you become really an authority over your fertility and knowing when and when you can't get pregnant 
or I mean, I've taken it to levels where I design my entire clinical load around my menstrual cycle and organize very specific things. Like I'll do things like this, like speaking to you when I know that I'm in my pre-ovulatory or ovulatory phase because like I can, it just is a more comfortable time of my cycle to do that. Mm -hmm. And so then it becomes this really cool practice. Mm. Yeah, I love and, that. That's awesome. Yeah, and deeply practical as well. That's what I love about it. You can, you can take it to spiritual heights, but also like really like wonderful common sense practical day-to-day mm -hmm. -day guidance which is so good the balance of the one foot in the other world and one foot in this one is lovely yeah it's the fun place to be mm -hmm. and you also <laughs> have the the cycle um you have a, a lot of free resources on your website at the moment right with cycle tracking and charting and connecting that way yeah. as well yeah, they, they all just seem to kind of add up over the years. So it's quite a sizable little library there now. Um, yeah, but there's there's like ebooks on like going more into those different phases of the menstrual cycle. There's like a fertility awareness method primer. There's some like meditations and journal exercises for connecting with yourself and crafting your own self-care plan so yeah there's a lot of juicy stuff in there mm -hmm. mm, so it's just on my website if you um sign up for my mailing list then you just automatically get sent an email with all the links to access all of those mm -hmm. I would definitely recommend it um Clara is currently seeing patients in uh, like her home-based practice, um, but you also offer treatment packages, which I noticed are super handy because they include the initial appointments, follow-ups, email check-ins, just lots of beautiful care. Um, and you, I, is this correct that the Deep Reset is a biannual program? Yes. So that's the that is the plan to do it around the spring and autumn equinox. It's so, so the seasonal shifts for both hemispheres. So important. So important. Yeah. Because yeah, that's often the time we feel like, you know, shaking things and shifting things up. Mm -hmm. Wait, so are you, yeah. guys, you guys are transitioning into fall and we are transitioning into spring. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. So wacky. No, yeah. it's, it's really good. As someone that's now, like, in the deep reset, I love it. Um, it's great. And I think... I think everyone can probably benefit from that. Like practitioner to non-practitioner doesn't matter. It's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, no, yeah, good. Clara, where can people find you? So I my website is Mediatrix Wellness. So that's M-E-D-I-A-T-R-I-X wellness.com.au. And then my Instagram, I hang out on Instagram. Um, it's the one social media channel that I'm actually consistent with. And that's I, that's my name, at Clara Bitcon. So, yeah, I love chatting to people over there. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so, so much for being a part of Herb's acupuncture and everything else. We very oh, my pleasure. Thank love. you for having me on. Oh, my goodness. Yes, you are amazing. Um, everyone go check her out immediately. And um, if you have any questions, uh, let me know. I think the email is herbsandacupodcast at gmail.com. I don't even know anymore. Um, <laughs> but yes, it was wonderful having you. And thank you so, so much. My absolute pleasure, Emma.